0: Presented by Star Style Productions as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. You'll rock to an hour of adolescent fusion with your teen hosts and on-air reporters. Meet and chat with cool celebrities, exhilarating experts, and tenacious teens with subjects regarding anything and everything that you want to know. It's time to kick off the fun with our star teens. Welcome to Express Yourself. The realization of ignorance is the first act of knowing. Gene Toomer. Hello and welcome to Express Yourself. We're a program by, for, and with creative young people, a platform to give teens a voice right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. From Cynthia Bryan, producer of Express Yourself and Star Style Productions, we bring this program to the airwaves as an outreach service of the Be The Star You Are charity, a top nonprofit honored by GuideStar and great nonprofits for today's show. Be The Star You Are wants to thank everyone who has volunteered and supported Be The Star You Are over the years. We are thrilled to be serving the world. If you'd like to help us celebrate being a top nonprofit with a donation, please visit www.btsya.com. That's www.btsya.com. Every dollar counts, and we will use the funds for our outreach programs. Make sure to listen to Express Yourself wherever you listen to radio or music. iTunes, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, and more. We broadcast from the Empowerment Channel on Voice America Radio, the largest radio network in the world. Hello, I'm Hannah Sahoda, the host for today's show. Today's show is all about corporations and the role they play in human labor, the environment, and the economic conditions on our society. In segment one, I will be discussing corporate exploitation and its effects. And then I will be talking about corporations and their promises to fight climate change, and then follow up to talk about gentrification and how it affects businesses and residents in local neighborhoods. Hello everyone. Again, my name is Santa Sahoda, and welcome to Express Yourself. This is my segment in empowerment inequality. Today, we will talk about corporate exploitation, specifically in the cosmetics industry. First, let's clarify what exploitation actually is. Exploitation is defined as the act or fact of treating someone unfairly in order to benefit from their work. There are several different types of exploitation, including domestic servitude, agricultural labor, sweatshop factory labor, janitorial labor, food service, and other service industry labor, and begging. These are often used in human trafficking, and companies and corporations often use these methods in foreign countries where labor laws are more lax and less regulated, mainly in South America, Asia, and Africa, in addition to the now more popular, subtle cases in the U.S. So, I'm talking about two types of labor. There's bonded labor, which is debt bondage. And this is where victims have their labor demanded as a means of repaying a debt or service that has unclear, vague, or manipulative terms that ensures that the victims will continue to work until their debt is paid off, when in reality it is not and the debt is just liquidated. And the second type of labor I will be talking about is forced labor, and this is labor in which victims are forced to work against their own will under the threat of violence or some other form of punishment or repercussion. The oppressor, in this case, restricts their freedom and enacts a sense of ownership over the victims in order to ensure continued labor. And as I said before, it could be domestic exploitation, which is a type of forced labor where the victim is usually expected to work in or around a person's home every day and be, unquote, on call 24 hours a day. Agricultural labor is also very prominent in which which farming workers are treated poorly and paid extremely low, illegal wages, and sometimes are threatened to stay by force. The three main methods are force, such as the isolation of migrant camps, control over transportation, restricted communication with others, fraud which can entail false promises about jobs and altered contracts without the consent of both parties. And lastly, coercion, such as for foreign workers, like the threats of deportation, harm to the victim or victim's family, document confiscation or manipulation of debt workers. Many of these methods are also used in sweatshop factory labor which is when the workplace has workers that are employed at low, unlivable wages and under unhealthy or oppressive conditions by, that's not by their free will. These types of exploitation, specifically forced labor, is prevalently used in corporate industries. Some examples being the recent 2021 child slavery lawsuit against Mars, Nestle, and Hershey, in which it was revealed that there was mass human trafficking and child slavery in this chain operation. Eventually, the case was dismissed by the Supreme Court on the basis of the Alien Tort Statute, which is a U.S. federal law that gives the federal courts jurisdiction to hear lawsuits filed by non-U.S. citizens for torts committed in violation of international law, including labor exploitation. They ruled that this was not applicable out of American borders, but the Supreme Court acknowledged the presence of exploitation in these chain operations, which shed light on the true extent of corporate exploitation worldwide. However, what I really wanted to bring attention to was the prevalent use of exploitation in the makeup, fast fashion, and wig industry. Hundreds of millions of individuals love using the products from around the world. But has anyone asked where all of these items and clothes actually come from? First, let me start with fast fashion. The past two years, fast fashion, specifically online fast fashion change, chains, have absolutely soared in popularity. Some are, some being Adidas, Hot Topic, H&M, Uniqlo, Victoria's Secret, Sheen, Gap, Fashion Nova, Zara, Urban Outfitters, and many more. These are some of the hundreds of thousands of fast fashion brands that encourages and sustains unethical business practices. These companies thrive off the popularity of mass consumption. Approximately 800 billion pieces of clothing are consumed And approximately 85% of these textiles ends up in the garbage or thrown out into waste bills. Due to the ever-changing idea of what is high fashion or quote-unquote trendy during a short period of time rather than long-term. These constant changes in fashion standards is what makes these fast fashion chains thrive as people will keep coming back to purchase more time-appropriate clothing in order to fit in. It is a never-ending cycle, similar to gambling. Gamblers will eventually, or maybe always lose, but the house will always win. These companies are often, as discussed before, eager to go to foreign countries, such as, commonly, Vietnam, India, and Bangladesh because their laws and oversight of worker conditions during textile production is extremely lax, allowing for much leeway in the treatment of these employees. 75 million factory employees, to be precise. This high demand of approximately 53 million tons of clothing every year increases the need for more workers. And clothing chains understand that labor exploitation will lead to more output, which is satisfying the customers, and more profit due to the minimal unlivable wages provided to these workers in addition to obscene working conditions and treatment. Of the 75 million factory workers employed by these companies, studies show that only 2% of these workers make a living wage leading to the phrase slave labor, to be frequently associated with these corporations. These employees and workers, when working with all of this fabric and clothes, are not only with wrong hours and conditions, but also have a higher health risk, such as having cancer and injuries. But these employees are too afraid to not show up to work. According to recent data from Nike with studies from the US Department of Labor, there's an estimate that the fashion industry workplaces have up to 1.4 million injuries annually. If you don't think that's bad, this rate of injury is equivalent to 5.6 workers having a fatal health risk or injury in a group of 100 workers. And when you have 75 million workers, I'll leave the true damages up to your imagination. The makeup industry, unfortunately, is not any better. There is a serious problem with slave labor, unethical business practices, and human trafficking to produce cosmetic products. One relevant example I will be discussing and talking about in relation to this point is the recent attention towards child labor in Indian mica mines. Now, everyone, I know you must be wondering, Hannah, what is Mika? Well, I'll tell you. Mica is the key ingredient in almost every makeup product out there. Eyeshadow, mascara, highlighters, lip glosses. It is a mineral most commonly found in India, the country being one of the top exporters of Mika to several, several popular cosmetic brands. Recently, slave labor involving children, mining in narrow tunnels, having the risk of lung cancer from mica powder, being crushed to death by loose rocks in a mine, becoming more vulnerable to sex trafficking, and having the chance of obtaining lethal infections was brought to everyone's attention at Chakarhand and Bihar, two Indian villages plagued with poverty. According to the Center for Research on Multinational Corporations, 25% of the world's mica is sourced from these two villages in India. In these two states, 22,000 children work in mica mines. Some of them are as young as four or five. This revelation was shocking and horrifying to many who had no idea where their products truly came from. Unfortunately, I'm here to tell you that this is only one example of the many slave laborers who work in lethal conditions to obtain the minerals and ingredients necessary for makeup, accounting for, this year, $93.5 billion in the total industry, with brands such as MAC, Too Faced, L'Oreal, Bobby Brown, and more being associated with India's child labor systems due to their recent purchase logs and frequent suppliers to Jharkhand and Bihar. Lastly, in addition to makeup, I will also discuss labor exploitation in the wig industry. But this exploitation I'm about to describe is different from the last two industries. The wig industry is very murky and shady, and the exploitation comes from the hair of poor women, specifically in Asia. Wigs are known to be labeled by type, and Indian wigs are one of the most popular options for consumers. Globally, the wig industry accounts for more than a billion dollars, 200 million coming from India alone. Temples, take hair from hair removal rituals, and sell them for profit. Venkateswara, the largest hair-generating temple in India, is the second richest religious temple just after the Vatican, because of the hair they sell. In 2019, in fact, the temple made over $1 U.S. dollars just from auctioning off hair. Oftentimes, the previous owners of this hair have little idea that is being sold for profit. Other times, women are scammed or intimidated into giving up their hair to sellers. The hair trade is completely unregulated, untraceable, and still considered completely legal by government standards. So it is one of the most profitable yet shady industries out of the three I am discussing. In fact, to corporations, many of them who are frequently used by U.S. consumers, 500 grams of hair, more than 88 inches of hair, is only worth $7, even less for those who promise compensation for women giving up their entire head of hair, only to run off with it without paying, which is unfortunately very, very common. Urban villages in India are at a 60% more risk of intimidation and brutal treatment in relation to the wig industry. As many nomadic villages such as Chiramula face police brutality and suffer significantly more from poverty, accepting items such as utensils and cheap clothing for their hair instead of fair or ethical compensation in the wig industry. Now, I know some of you might be asking, How can we stop supporting labor exploitation in corporations? Well, one one crucial thing as a consumer is to become educated on the values and processes of companies, especially chain corporations. If you know where your product is coming from and are properly armed with data and ethical ingredients, it is safe to purchase from that company. There are even brands who dedicate themselves to being cruelty-free for both humans and animals and are eco-friendly, such as 100% Pure, Lush, and Fenty Beauty, to name a few, who recently are recently opened brands that make sure that their products are as far away from corporate exploitation as possible. Unfortunately, there will most likely always be child exploitation and slave laborers in this industry, but it is crucial that as a consumer you're informed so we can slowly but surely weed out these corporations and prevent these systems from being perpetuated over time. Remember, you are the consumer, and every purchase you make supports a company, no matter how small it is, so it is crucial to be educated. 75 percent of consumers, in fact, stopped buying from popular makeup brands once they found out that it was associated with child labor and unethical business practices because of the lack of transparency. So it is vital to just do a little bit of research, even if the industry may be murky. It is a job as, it is your job as the consumer to try your best. Regarding fast fashion, which has become increasingly popular over the years, influencers and um, normal citizens alike have been popularly buying from Sheen and Azos, um, doing hauls, so, which therefore fundamentally perpetuates more labor exploitation as there is a higher demand for more clothing. So I would recommend to not do large hauls or constantly throw out your clothes, and to look for sustainable materials instead. It is better to shop local rather than global, or better yet, buy secondhand or go thrifting. There are plenty of good finds you can find out without constantly buying from online stores. Uh, If you want to fight against slave labor, there are many, many methods of doing so. You could donate to aid or advocacy groups, You could volunteer at anti-slavery organizations near you, and you could even educate others on what they are purchasing for their spending habits, as many consumers are unaware of what they are purchasing. The next thing I will be discussing is the relationship between corporations and climate change. We've talked about human and labor ethics, but now let's talk about environmental ethics. How true is corporations' climate pledges really in benefiting the environment? Let's discuss. According to the CPC, only 100 energy companies have been responsible for 71% of all industrial emissions from the beginning of the notion of human-driven climate change and when studies began to be conducted and have a prominent view in the public eye. Most of this environmental damage, in fact, stems from the United States. According to a 2021 study, over 630 million metric tons of greenhouse gases are emitted by approximately the top 14 US food and beverage corporations, making these greenhouse gases combined larger than many of the emissions of the entire continent of Australia. As a result of recently increased public support and pressure on companies to make their policies more eco-friendly, green policies became of increased awareness. And now many corporations are making something called climate pledges, which is setting targets of how much greenhouse gas emissions they will reduce and how they will do it. The question really is, are these PR claims even realistic? According to the study from the CCRM, Corporate Climate Responsibility Motor, many corporations and large companies are grossly exaggerating their environmental progress while not releasing data on the true effects of their products. The reason why this data is so important is because it shows the progress on each step of creating said product obtaining and using raw materials that create emissions not only during harvest but during transportation, extraction, and refining the product, and each of these processes being known as upstream emissions. Not to mention the further greenhouse emissions that come as a result of the use and disposal of said product, factoring in recycling, manufacturing, and consumer satisfaction. Intentionally glossing over these results and failing to account for the damages is leading to a mass amount of uncharted greenhouse emissions from corporations while skirting around corporate climate commitments, which is extremely concerning. This this method, it's very common and it's known as greenwashing. And for everyone who doesn't know what that is, Greenwashing is defined as the process of, and I quote, conveying a false impression or providing misleading information about how a company's products are more environmentally sound. The CCRM gave not only the study showing showing the data of each corporation, but they also gave an integrity rating to many popular companies regarding environmental policy follow through freeze ranging from reasonable reasonable to moderate to low to very low reasonable they did marsk moderate they did apple sony and vodafone and in low and very low i will just be listing a few in low for environmental policy follow through they had amazon Nl, Telecom, Google, Hitachi, Ikea, Walmart, and Volkswagen. And in very low, some of the companies they named were BMW Group, CVS Health, JBS, Nestle, Unilever, Novartis, Accenture, and more. This study concluded that if these economic strategies and policies were strategically implemented and executed properly gas house emissions could not only could only be reduced by 40% rather than the claimed 100% from the term net zero that many of these companies claim to be able to achieve institutional shareholder services in fact affirm that advises investors on board elections and other corporate matters, also analyzed each corporation's efforts and commitment to help the environment. From their studies of company data, they found that over a third of the 500 companies in the S&P 500 stock index had ambitious targets, 215 had no targets at all, and the rest had weak environmental targets. Examples of these pledges were, such as inventing in forestry or carbon capture projects to offset the damages caused by the corporate products and a promise to increase recycling and lower transportation routes. These methods are ineffective in reducing greenhouse emissions and only portray that this company is going green, which is why it is so concerning. All of these reports I've previously stated had raised very, very suspicious questions about corporate independent rating systems, as many have been shown to be inaccurate or solely dependent on loopholes in recent years. In fact, the SBTI, Science-Based Targets Initiative, has raised the term near climate pledges of nearly 800 companies as within the 2015 Paris Agreement goal, focusing on environmental safety. And this company has determined that new climates analyses approved by SBTI are, and I quote, either contentious or inaccurate due to various subtle details and loopholes that significantly undermined the company's plans showing that SBTI is a very unreliable source for determining whether or not companies are within their environmental standard, which is concerning in itself, as many individuals and small corporations have trusted SBTI for quite a long period of time. However, there is some hope for the future of environmental policy, including recent enforced governmental green policies, also known as carrot and stick policies, in order to ensure that companies follow the rules or face a punishment, these policies are oftentimes easily like accepted by the house because it provides a lot of benefits that the house likes: environmental safety, more transparency. But at the distraught of companies, this carrot and stick method, hence the name, then comes the stick. Similar to drinking age, there is a penalty if you lower the age. Similar to policies, now in the House there are more green policies that are initiating penalties and real consequences to ensure the enforcement and oversight of these claims of going green, which is extremely effective, especially since corporations do not like losing profits to the government. And smaller corporations are playing a more active role in deterring climate change by investing in charging infrastructure based on electricity rather than diesel or gas, deploying all electric fleets of machinery, which is slowly becoming more and more popular. California, in fact, is in the process of issuing a rule for the manufacturing and transportation of cars in the future to be solely electric rather than gas or hybrid, which can have serious implications for the future uh, of green policies in government. If this is successful, there, it's a 10-year experimental, experimental route. It could spread to other states and totally change the environmental policies of the United States. Another way that smaller corporations are playing a role is designing supply chains, distribution channels, and facilities to encourage behavioral change among employees and industrial ecosystems. It starts at the inside of a corporation. So when they adjust these supply chains to be more environmentally friendly, it has a butterfly effect that spreads to the rest of the industry. However, there have been some advantages in environmental rebuilding and preventing climate change. Over $17 billion of private capital was poured into climate tech and in the future is set to surpass $40 billion, which can open up new opportunities for a variety of different methods that were previously inaccessible or out of budget some methods that were, are, pre- are previously and even now being discussed are solar power, nuclear energy, wind power, like the topography of the land. It's all being factored in, which is super important because now this environmental dialogue with the recent weather changes is becoming more relevant than ever. Now, some, some people may ask, how can corporations and governments together successfully reduce greenhouse emissions? I'll tell you. It's, they can set local emissions goals on the governmental level, which starts small but then goes big. Similar to um, landowner policies. They start in towns and then eventually it creates a holistic effect that affects the entirety of the United States. Um, They can encourage people to be, even citizens can have a role in environmental policies and being aware of what they're using. You guys can be smart about your air conditioner. Um, They can encourage electric vehicles. Um, Be smart about nuclear power, as there is much controversy, as many people say that it's not environmentally friendly, but the opposition is arguing that it's a better alternative to diesel and coal products, which will be very interesting in Congress and in the Senate as the future, as especially now, green policies are becoming more and more prevalent. The government can make it easier to live without cars, providing more like carpooling or transportation opportunities or maybe easier routes. Um, People can prevent wasted food by eating your food, properly disposing of it. And corporations, in fact, can even incentivize carbon farming and curb the effects of meat and dairy when applicable to the food industry, as that accounts for over 30% of most of the emissions. So now we know about the environmental aspects human and human ethics aspects of business. But now I wanted to discuss what actually, what is a problem or a threat that is posed to not only residents, but also small businesses and large corporations. So we'll be discussing an ever prominent problem that is appearing in more and more neighborhoods and cities, affecting residents and businesses of the like gentrification. Now, what is gentrification? How does it affect the residents of an area? Are there any other factors that solely affect businesses and people? We can discuss. Gentrification is a process of neighborhood change that includes economic change in a disinvested neighborhood through real estate investment and new higher income residents moving in and has become an increasing concern regarding urban development and nowadays is very controversial. Today, many still argue about the logistics and ethics of gentrification in relation to the development of neighborhoods. Gentrification does, in fact, increase the quality of a neighborhood, but has dramatically negative effects on previous residents and those of low socioeconomic status it is an unjust way of renovating neighborhoods as in its totality, it increases the cost of living in order to drive out those of low socioeconomic statuses along with specific minorities in hopes of creating a more comfortable environment for those who are substantially wealthier. Gentrification forces low income households and residents to move to lower cost neighborhoods with fewer resources. The process of gentrification entails the movement of highly affluent and high class citizens moving into those of the previous residents of lower and poorer status. When these numbers of new wealthy residents starts to rise, it can have many negative effects on the previous inhabitants, such as forced displacement. The Uproot Project, a project examining case studies on gentrification, States that, and I quote, gentrification is a process of neighborhood change where higher income and higher educated residents move into a historically marginalized neighborhood, housing costs rise, and the neighborhood is physically transformed through new higher end construction and building upgrades, resulting in the displacement of vulnerable residents and changes to the neighborhood's cultural character. There are various ways in which gentrification affects the previous residents of the neighborhood, but these issues lead to the main problem of forced displacement. When wealthier individuals move into a poorer neighborhood, the housing becomes more expensive due to the increased price of buildings, which then increases rent. As stated before, The previous inhabitants of these properties are making a lower income than the rent required and are forced to leave the neighborhood in search of cheaper options. The individuals suffering due to gentrification are not only forcefully evicted from their homes, but also experience many disadvantages and less opportunities in their daily lives as a result of the move. Bloomberg City Lab states it qualifies in the, as an emergency, in the sense that we have housing affordability issue, or you have a large number of renters who might be pushed out of the neighborhoods that become unaffordable, pushed further out from the city, distant from public transportation, and distant from their jobs. Accessibility is an increasingly alarming issue regarding gentrification. As many individuals who experience this problem, do not have access to the basic necessities required to function in everyday life. After being forcefully displaced from their homes due to increased rent prices and greater affluent residents, there is a limited number of neighborhoods that said people can move to. These neighborhoods typically consist of individuals who are poor or of our minorities, specifically in the African-American, Latin, and Native American community. So, this has become an increasingly problem. And according to Jacqueline Huang, an assistant professor of sociology at Stanford School of Humanities and Science, she states, and I quote, If we look at where people end up in their move, when they move, poor residents moving from historically black gentrifying neighborhoods tend to move to poor non-gentrifying neighborhoods within the city while residents moving from other gentrifying neighborhoods tend to move to wealthier neighborhoods in the city and in the suburbs, which illustrates how this displacement works. Many cannot support their families, and from a lack of transportation to a greater distance from their jobs, displaced individuals have fewer resources and opportunities than that of their affluent counterparts. No matter what, It is a very, very prominent problem. Not only does gentrification negatively affect the residents in the neighborhood, it also has a deep impact on the economy of local businesses in the area. When gentrification occurs in a neighborhood, the rent for small businesses increases significantly, forcing small business owners to relocate or even close shop. This is due to the sudden change in customer and property value. Odar, a popular author from Forbes writes, the downside of gentrification is that rents at small businesses may be jacked up. If you have to pay a lot more to rent your retail space, does the extra money that residents may spend really help you to turn a profit? This is the quandary that small business owners face when gentrification enters the picture. Local businesses and even large corporations face a distressing dilemma in the face of gentrification regarding retail space, rent, and prices. The affermented jacked up retail prices are a result of increased rent for the business spaces and increased wealth of more affluent consumers because those of lower socioeconomic statuses have been pushed out When gentrification occurs, wealthier customers will begin to start overtaking and visiting these businesses, raising the price of retail space and nearby business of those of economic properties. Thus, in order to survive, many businesses are forced to increase their prices significantly, reminiscent of inflation. However, these higher prices are usually fit for mainstream business, and in many small local businesses, they cannot keep a steady profit. Thus, they have no choice but to shut down or relocate. In addition to high rent and disparate consumers, local businesses also have to deal with another large issue from gentrification, underpopulation and abandonment. When gentrification occurs in a neighborhood, affluent residents move into the area in place of those of lower status. However, there is the issue of the underpopulation of a neighborhood. When so many previous inhabitants of an area leave in search of a cheaper, more affordable place to live, there may not be as many residents to fill the gap. Thus, this creates a problem for local business owners and their customer base. According to City Observatory, on the other side, just as non gentrifying low income neighborhoods usually see a kind of displacement with rapidly declining populations as people leave for areas with stronger neighborhood amenities. Local businesses in these neighborhoods may also struggle to remain a place remain in a place with a declining customer base. When individuals in a neighborhood undergo forced displacement, there is a plethora of empty spaces that need to be filled up by new residents, who, in fact, with their old neighborhoods, prefer more space. As the rent prices are so high, in some cases, there are not enough people that can afford to live in the area, which therefore results in the aforementioned underpopulation and abandonment of the neighborhood. Local businesses suffer greatly because of this, and usually have to close or move to a more active, populated area to keep running. However, many local businesses do not have the funds to move, so their livelihoods and jobs are shut down, which is why it's such a huge problem. Gentrification is a main cause of shutting down local businesses in favor of large corporations reminiscent of vertical and horizontal integration. There is no chance for small boutiques or small businesses to survive in these areas because of the forced displacement of previous inhabitants and the community for their rent and customer base. Some individuals or the opposition believes that gentrification is positive for a neighborhood creating more development in the region, along with more advanced building products and economic advancement. However, what they fail to consider is the numerous negative effects gentrification has on the poor residents and inhabitants of the neighborhoods in favor of creating a more quote-unquote, desirable environment for more affluent, wealthy, mainly white residents. This argument that gentrification is purely positive is fundamentally flawed for small businesses and residents in favor of a wealthier customer base and large corporations, which further impacts local shopping, which ties back into the environmental policies of these corporations and human treatment, because now there are no alternatives for these consumers. There's only large corporations, rather than boutiques, or thrift shops, or local amenities. So gentrification results in forced displacement, which due to increased rent prices, bribery, and landlord eviction to free up housing spots. The effect of gentrification is ever-increasing and is proving to be a big issue for the inhabitants of low socioeconomic neighborhoods along with small businesses in the face of wealthier residents and even wealthier corporations. This ties into a whole new issue involving homelessness and lack of accessibility and further redlining of these marginalized communities as a result of wealthier corporations. According to the NCRC, and I quote, gentrification remains a significant threat to minority and LMI families in some of the largest and most prosperous parts of the country. These cities are home to over 14 percent of all Americans. These are hundreds of millions of people who are being forced from their homes in places you might not even be expecting. It could be the neighborhood that's a few times away from you. Um, Georgetown law, Emily Chang even states, the gentrification process becomes detrimental when it forces original residents to leave the neighborhood through exponentially increasing property prices, coercion, or buyouts poor communities are commonly converted to high-end neighborhoods with expensive housing options such as high-rises and condominiums. As property prices increase, the original residents of the neighborhood are forced out in a variety of ways. So this truly indicates how much corporations have an effect on the economic welfare and aid of not only the environment or people in even foreign countries or disparate communities in America, but also regular citizens. It can lead to inflation, poverty, homelessness, in favor of wealthier, higher-class citizens, which further perpetuates classism and is an increasing problem, especially with the rising inflation and costs in recent months to be fair on the opposition they have a point gentrification does improve the physical quality of a neighborhood oftentimes it goes under renovation or construction to fit in with all of the fancy name brands and this these new consumer bases who are used to more luxury goods but This is only for those in positions of power and wealth. For individuals with less financial success, gentrification is extremely damaging and can drastically uproot and change their lives. Original residents, I will repeat, experience forced displacement being exposed to poorer conditions, less opportunities and discrimination as a result of this process. Affluent residents socially and economically ruin the neighborhood and then change it to fit their ideals of a well off and comfortable region. It increases the cost of living, drives out local businesses, creates a whole different culture from the previous neighborhood, in which a community, oftentimes surrounded around minorities, has been built painstakingly, decade after decade only to be replaced with this new, foreign, industrialized way of living. And thus, gentrification is not only an extremely efficient, but also concerning process that goes against those who are vulnerable and struggling, both in business and residence. It is a common misconception to think that gentrification will clean or make a neighborhood more suitable to live in. And this is extremely false. It's detrimental to residents in a neighborhood who need aid and support and less redlining and more opportunities. Pushing out these citizens will not make them go away and will only further increase the housing crisis, economic crisis, and poverty crisis that America is being threatened with in recent years due to this process. These individuals of low socioeconomic status have less opportunities than their wealthy counterparts and need to be protected as such. All of these corporations play a different role in each factor of our lives. Even if we may not know it, behind the scenes, we we don't see a lot of the processes that go into this non-transparent, industrialized corporations-like system. A lot of times we don't see it, but it does have a very severe impact on all aspects of our lives, which is why I implore all of us as consumers and yo- especially like young teens. I know it's very popular to buy clothes and get new get new know, infrastructure or maybe gloss over those who are struggling. But in the long run, it's only going to cause more problems and further perpetuate these unethical business practices and unjust economic changes to those who are less fortunate or are in lower socioeconomic classes. So, I implore all of you to go out and maybe learn more about these brands. Look up what, what products you use. Like if you use blush, maybe look up where do they get their products? Where do they get their ingredients? And share your friends. Tell your friends too. Because it's been going for decades and decades. And now it's a time to put a stop to all of this exploitation. We as teenagers have a role and have a duty to not make the same mistakes as our previous generations. And with enough education and enough effort, we can uproot the systematic exploitation and slavery and injustice. So <laughs> that's it. I hope you guys learned a lot about corporations and how they work and how. They present their policies because oftentimes it's not taught in school. So, unfortunately, we are out of time today. I really hope you enjoyed our show today. And as always, we express our gratitude to Star Style Productions, Cynthia Bryan, Be The Star You Are, and our Voice America empowerment crew, especially our audio engineer, Josh. Thanks to our guests from across the world, and a huge thank you to our listeners for making us a top-rated program. For more information about Be The Star You Are charity, visit www.BeTheStarYouAre.org. Find us on Instagram at Express Yourself Radio. That's at Express Yourself Radio. And remember, everyone, be aware of what you're buying. It's very, very important. And always remember to speak up, speak out, and express yourself. Be the star you are, light up the flame, that burns. Make a world of difference in a world of differences when you support Be The Star You Are 501c3, a literacy and positive media charity dedicated to empowering women, families, and youth. Visit star dot org to make a tax-deductible donation today. Everyone counts. Donate today. Be the lucky star you are. Be the star you are. Light up the flame. It burns. Low literacy and poor communication skills have been identified in studies as major contributors to general conduct disorders, psychiatric disorders, criminal behavior, and adolescent suicide. To live and prosper in this society, we must be lifelong learners with access to knowledge and skills that can sustain our lives at work, at home, and in our communities. Be the Star You Are, 501C3 Charity, has been working to increase literacy and improve positive message programming since 1999 you can help by making a tax-deductible donation today. Visit www.bethestarur.org. Everybody counts. www.BeTheStarYouAre.org Be the lucky star you to